Welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast with Jacob Ayers, providing actionable content to help you along your journey to financial freedom through real estate investing. As the premier asset class, real estate has helped ordinary people just like you amass fortunes. The benefits of passive income from real estate investing will allow you to live a life you want. And now your host, entrepreneur, real estate investor, and apartment deal syndicator, Jacob Ayers. State Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, episode 143. Hi, I'm your host, Jacob Ayers. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode. I'm so glad you're here. Now, I'm excited about this week's guest, and he is David Prey. You may have heard David alongside me on the Bigger Pockets podcast, episode 281, where I first met David. And since then, him and I have made a connection and bonded over real estate investing and blogs and creating content just like this podcast. So I'm really excited to have him on today. We're going to be discussing his journey as investing as an active Marine stationed in Hawaii while investing in his home state of Missouri. So there's going to be lots of great takeaways from there. Looking forward to it. So without further ado, let's jump into this week's episode. All right, today I welcome on the show, Mr. David Bray. David, hey, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, brother. Yeah, it's our pleasure. Well, hey, David, tell the audience a little bit about yourself, how you guys started investing in real estate, and kind of your journey up to this point. Yeah, so I am an active duty Marine. I've been in, I just rounded uh, 10 years, so been in the Marine Corps for basically my entire adult life. Um, been around the world a little bit here and there, and I, I'd always kind of had an interest in real estate. I don't, I don't really know where that sparked from. Uh, maybe watching, you know, HGTV. Who knows? Um, <laughs> and and I'd always kind of been interested in it, but I didn't really know anyone who dabbled in real estate or knew anything about it other than owning a house, uh, which, as we all know, does not necessarily make you an investor. Um, <clears throat> so. It wasn't until, and I kicked myself for this because I became a recruiter in 2013. And when I went on recruiting duty in Missouri, I was like, wow, houses are super affordable. I finally get a housing allowance now because I'm going to be living outside of the the base. Um, I'm going to buy myself a house and do a fix and flip or a live and flip or a a burr or, and I didn't know any of these terms. I was like, I'm just going to buy an ugly house and make it pretty and then sell it when I leave. Um, and then I talked myself out of it very quickly because I went to like meet with a realtor and was like, wow, I don't know any of this stuff and went and rented an apartment. Um, <laughs> and, and two years later, uh, and it was actually not real estate related at all. This guy was trying to get me to do network marketing. Um, can't remember the name of the company, but he told me to read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I was like, yeah, I don't read or, you know, Marine, dumb, drive truck whatever. Um, (laughs) And so I talked myself out of reading the book. So finally he's like, look, I gave you this link, go download Audible. Your first book, first book is free. So listen to it. He's like, how much time you spend in the car? And at the time as a recruiter, I'm in the car, like two, three, four hours a day. So I'm like all the time. And uh, so I read the whole book via Audible in like three, four days. And, uh, that like totally changed my life. I ended up not, I mean, I didn't do the whole network marketing thing with him partially. I probably would have given it a shot, but uh, there was no time in the day to be trying to sell other stuff on recruiting duty. But I read the book. Um, and then the next book I read was Brandon Turner, Bigger Pockets, the uh, book on rental property investing. And then I read the book on no and low money down, also Brandon Turner. And I don't really remember which order those two books were in, but I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad in like September, October and closed on a house hack duplex December 28th of that year. Um, So I basically like the biggest takeaway I got from all those books was like, just do it. You're never going to have all your questions answered. Take action. And I was like, okay, great. House hack sounds awesome. My lease is ending. Let's find a property. Um, And that's exactly what I did. I gave myself till the end of the year and I made it by like three days. Um, And then I ended up getting married very shortly after that. So I only actually lived in the duplex for a couple of months before realizing it was more beneficial to live with my wife than to live on my own in a duplex. 
<clears throat> yeah, I love it. So, you know, you open that rich dad, poor dad, like so many people that just starts like this black hole, this rabbit hole of information from there. And you just get sucked into this world of real estate investing and investing in general. And, you know, you know, being, being a business owner, not an employee, right? You think of the four quadrants of the book and uh, yeah, really cool stuff there. So, you know, at this point in your time, you're thinking, well, I'm going to go and just do my very first house hack. And you didn't really know what that meant, but you thought, Hey, I'm going to buy this duplex. So walk us through what that looked like. And, you know, just kind of show us what that was. Yeah. So I kind of lucked out because in Missouri, you don't have to, you don't really have to look that hard for deals. And I don't mean that deals are just growing off trees or everybody would be investing there. I just mean that uh, the cost of living is so low that you can buy a very affordable duplex and it'll still cash flow. Uh, it might not make you rich, but it'll make you a couple hundred bucks and it won't cost much to get into. Um, so I just basically, I honestly, I did it all the wrong way. I just called the first realtor that I found on Google when I typed in a real estate agent near me and I went with them. Uh, and I, you know, just walked through at probably 10, 15 properties until I found one that I was like, yep, this looks good and ran all the numbers via the bigger pockets, uh, calculator, uh, which if you're not a pro member, I think you can use like five times. So I'm lucky that I got that done in the first like five times, or I would have been doing it on paper and I wouldn't have known what I was doing. <laughs> um, everything, things seemed to work out and I kind of, I have this it's going to bite me one of these days really hard, but I have this mentality when I come to a hard place and I'm like, I don't know which direction to go with this. I usually go, well, this could either like make me or break me, but either way it's going to make a good story. So let's go for it. And that's like my, <laughs> like if it's close enough to being doable that I can justify it being worth telling the story someday, I'm like, screw it. You know, we'll see what happens. Um, so realistically, I probably was not prepared on my numbers, but we went in and did it. Um, I haven't used that agent again, um, cause I've learned a lot since then, but everything, I mean, everything worked out, uh, luckily enough. So still own it, uh, still cash flow. I used an FHA loan, which is another thing I kick myself for, because as I've mentioned, I'm a military member, which means that there's this thing called the VA loan that is amazing and nobody in the military understands it, myself included, because I was like dead convinced you can only use it one time. And if you do use it a second time, it's not 0% down. And you're, you're, why would you waste it on such a cheap property? And yeah, uh -huh. I look back and I'm like, I'm an idiot. I'm paying another 80 bucks a month on a PMI, like primary mortgage insurance on that duplex, just because I didn't understand I could use the VA again. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you know, I think uh, one thing I want to pull, pull out of here, what you said, David, so far is, you know, this little nugget you took away from rich dad, poor dad was, you know, just to go do it. And like, now you're living this philosophy of, you know, if you come to a, a fork in the road and you're looking at this decision, looks marginal, you're going to go with the one that makes a better story. So what I'm getting out of this is you really like to, you know, just jump in, take action, you know, before you necessarily know everything. And I think that prevents a lot of people from really getting started, especially, you know, younger investors, they want to study everything, know everything. And truth is, you probably will never know everything. So, you know, it's better to get started, you know, educate yourself a little bit, but, you know, start taking action. And, uh, you know, that's probably what's really driven you along as far as you've gone. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, obviously, I'm a huge fan of networking, just like yourself. That's how we met. Uh, but if you get to a point where you have like one or two people who've done something, what like I, I'm lucky enough to know a couple people that have been very successful in real estate at this point. And so if it's a really weird deal and I have no idea, I'll bounce it off them. And I'm not looking for them to, some people like seem to hit you up and they're like, Hey, you know, here's all these numbers. Here's this. Can you run a full analysis on it? Like whatever, like all I'm looking for is hey man, look, here's its income. Here's its expense. Here's why it's weird. Does that raise any red flags? And if they can't think of any like immediate red flag, then I'm like, okay, cool. We're still on the buffer zone for just jump off the cliff and see what happens. Um, <laughs> and that's kind of like my safety net to myself is like, okay, he had no red flags. I have no red flags. Like it's close enough. Let's go for it. But you're right. You will never learn everything via podcast, YouTube book. I mean, you'll learn a ton that way. And that's the best thing you can do for yourself is spend time every day learning, but you will never like once you jump off the cliff and take the action and and whatever like you'll find that in that process all of a sudden all your questions got answered and everything you didn't know became evident or something you didn't know that you didn't know became evident but you'll answer all these questions and you'll get to the end of the road and even if it doesn't work out you're like holy smokes i learned a ton from that 
Um, and I think that just doing it is probably the fastest way to learn something. Yeah, definitely. So, and let's talk about that learning networking piece. You kind of mentioned it, but you and I actually met because we are co guests on bigger pockets podcast <laughs> show 281. So that was, uh, you know, a really fun experience being on the bigger pockets podcast together talking about our journeys individually getting started investing in real estate. And that's how we met. And you know, that's that goes to prove, you know, both the learning and the networking piece, right? So you know, you and I were probably both originally drawn to bigger pockets for both of those reasons. We're there networking with other people, learning right alongside with people. It turns into this connection and here we are. So, you know, talk about, you know, the importance to you of both learning that initial education piece and then just continuing to build your network. Yeah. So, uh, shameless plug, he said show 281. Yes, um, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And I, same thing. Like I, I realized very quickly as I was trying to learn things that if I had a question, I'd go and I'd try to Google it or YouTube it. And it was like, I could not get away from bigger pockets. It was like every single answer that popped up was like bigger pockets forum. And I'm like, okay, what is this website and how is it taken over Google? Um, so good job, whoever does their search engine optimization. Uh, and so learning and networking, you know, I, I'm going to write like a book one of these days. I'm telling myself that it may never happen, but I have a bunch of notes written on a yellow legal pad over here. Um, just because like personal development is so awesome. And well, I mean, there's just so many different angles to come at this, but I think like the biggest thing is so many people are frustrated with their situation and they will sit there and they will try to change their situation and they won't try to change themselves. Like for instance, let's sit for a really weird analogy that just popped into my head and we'll see if it works as yeah, we go. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, if, if you're driving a truck, right? If you're from the Midwest, you drive your truck and you go out in the mud and you get stuck, right? Like you wouldn't get out of the truck and say, okay, well let's, let's drain the mud puddle. That was the problem. The mud puddle was the problem. You would say, Hmm, maybe I need bigger tires. Maybe I need a bigger lift. Maybe I should upgrade my truck. Maybe I shouldn't go in the mud in the first place. Um, and people don't think about life that way. They sit there and they're like, my job is terrible because my boss is a jerk. Maybe your job is terrible because you don't like your job and you could go look at some other place to work. Um, or maybe you're terrible and that's why your boss is a jerk. Uh, <laughs> you know, and that's not an easy thing to say or to accept and, and for me or anyone. Um, but sometimes you just are not good at whatever it is and it, it is your fault. And the faster you learn that, and even if it's not your fault, it's your responsibility to fix it, you know, the, the better it becomes. So learning and teaching yourself is, is absolutely crucial because once you come to that realization, you'll take time to learn. And then networking, uh, I mean, it's amazing the things that you will come across via networking. Um, I went to a networking event like two years ago where I got lucky enough to meet Brandon Turner. Uh, but through that, I met a guy named Corey Nimoto and we're about to close a flip that we're doing out here in Hawaii, um, which I, I never would have even thought about trying to do a fix and flip out here if I hadn't met him. Uh, I met Brandon, which has you know been amazing. He's just a super cool dude, but it's always nice to, I met Doug Nordman who dragged me into FinCon next week. Um, and so like all these guys that are further along than you, like learning something's great, but then going and having someone tell you like, yeah, that's a great life lesson. I've been there. I've done that. You learned the lesson. You're talking about it, but like you haven't done anything with it. You should get off your butt and go do it. Like it's just amazing what can come from all of that. Yeah, I love it. And you know, to people out there getting started, I always recommend first start off educating yourself, pick up books, listen to podcasts like this or bigger pockets or whatever, you know, go to networking events, go to meetups and then start, you know, start networking and building your circle and being uh, around people who are doing it is what you want to do. And then, then eventually, you know, you just got to take that action. Like you said, you just jump into it, take action. You can't just, you know, be in this learning phase forever. You can't be in this networking phase forever, but those are two very crucial pieces to this whole recipe. So, so let's start talking about the taking action piece, David, you've, uh, you know, you've mentioned you bought that very first house hack duplex, lived in one side, got that low down payment. Looking back, there's some mistakes you made. You could have done, you know, a little bit better on your financing. So you moved out of that. You've still got that duplex. And then what was next from there? Next was, well, so my wife kind of did a burst strategy without knowing what a burst strategy was. So before we met, she had bought the house across from her parents' street, uh, super cheap, 
basically some guy overdosed, didn't die, but um, overdosed and was, Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Kind of turned himself into a vegetable. Um, and so they had to sell the property. His family did. And it's funny you hear my wife tell the story and she'll say, she like, can my in-laws have like an apartment in their barn and she was crashing there for a little bit. Um, and you'll hear her say that she would like walk out the street when people were looking at the house and be like, make sure the agent tells you about the guy who died in there. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, so she got it dirt cheap and then my father-in-law built houses for 30 years. So he just remodeled it with her and a couple other friends for, you know, no costs. So they did, they did labor or uh, sorry, they did, they did parts, but no labor. Um, so super cheap. And so she has this house that's awesome, great shape, but not a lot of money into it. So the next thing we did was we pulled a home equity line of credit out on that. Uh, and then using that, we bought a 10 plex. So in Missouri as well. So it's not very expensive compared to everyone else. I'm not going to name price cause someone will get all frustrated, but uh, you definitely can buy a cheap 10 unit if you look hard enough. Um, so it cash flows for about I don't know. It cash flows for like 1200 a month after all said and done. And I, I guess I said, I wouldn't name price, but it was like 200 and we closed at 212. Um, and so it makes a very solid amount of cash flow for the amount that we had to put into it with seller financing and a HELOC. Yeah, David. Well, I really want to dive into that HELOC, but before we do, let's jump into a quick break for this week's sponsor, Commercial Loan Success. For those of you who have heard episode 127, you remember our guest, John Matheson from Commercial Loan Success. Well, I'm now a customer of CLS myself, and here's why. Their software platform has enabled me to vet a couple of deals I'm working on. It's very intuitive to use. I simply put in my income and expense numbers, and in minutes, I know if my deal is favorable in the bank's eyes. Now, not only can you vet a deal for lending if you own rental property and you are looking to sell or refinance, you can establish a realistic selling price or find out how you look before going into the bank. Now, I know many of you are in the market for properties, and I have not found a better tool to use than CLS. They have screeners for apartments, mixed use, and pure commercial properties. On top of that, they have a resource center full of videos and tutorials if you need some extra help. So if that's something that you might be interested in, check out the link in the show notes for more information. Well, David, coming back to that HELOC, tell us exactly what that is and how you used it. Yeah, so I'm in the military. I'm terrible about acronyms, and I apologize. Uh, <laughs> no <home> worries. <laughs> line of credit. So the home equity line of credit is basically saying uh, the easiest way to say it would be if I have a house that's worth two hundred thousand dollars and I owe a hundred thousand dollars, the bank will let me loan the difference between what I owe up to seventy or eighty percent. So if it was eighty percent, one hundred and sixty thousand. So the difference between me owing a hundred. And it, the 160,000 mark, they would let me take a loan on, but it's not a traditional loan where you pull out the 60,000, you have to repay it. It's like a, basically like a checking account. So you only pay interest on the money that you've used. Uh, traditionally it's interest only for a certain period of time. The interest rates are super low. Mine's like 3.4%. It's probably the best money you can get lender wise because, and here's a big awesome factor about it is if if you get to a point where you've used the home home equity line of credit and you're like not worried about you're you're not sure you're going to pay it back this that and the other because there is a balloon at the end of like 20 years you have to have it all paid off or whatever um if you sell the house the loan's paid off you're done that's it uh and so it's super cool because it's like this super cheap money that you can get and then you know if you ever get to the point where you're like man i don't know if i'm gonna end up repaying this just sell the house and move on and now you no longer owe it because it's not an actual loan. It's just you borrowing against your house. Uh, so it's super awesome way to find some extra capital. Yeah. So that HELOC is a way to unlock equity in your property rather than selling it or refinancing it. So absolutely. Which the refinance is a very good option that uh, I probably could have looked into as well. Yeah. And so, one of the pieces of the burst strategy, right? So that's buy, yeah. rehab, rent refinance and then repeat. So yeah, crucial part of that burst strategy. I've done it since several of my properties has really helped me, you know, grow my portfolio and scale. So awesome stuff there. Now, David, you are investing from overseas. Now you live in Hawaii. So tell us about that and what it's like investing back in stateside. 
Yeah, so I live in paradise. And when I say paradise, I mean Jumanji. Uh, if you follow the news at all, <laughs> here we've had like what uh, ballistic missile threat, three hurricanes, the volcanoes erupting, uh, 30,000 acres worth of wildfire, which there's not that much acreage here, so that's a lot. Uh, a tiger got loose 52 inches of rain over one of the hurricanes last week. It's been kind of weird. Um, that really does sound like Jumanji. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's actually really funny. But uh, I guess not for the people who got six feet or four and a half feet of rain last week but yeah um, but I love it out here um however there's no way to buy and hold rentals out here I mean the money you know it's just a, a three bed one and a half bathroom house that's maybe 1200 square feet is like eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and it will rent for three or four grand so if you know anything about like basic rental math right um there is like no way to justify spending almost a million dollars on something that's barely going to make you four grand. And by make you four grand, I mean, lose money because you're not, your mortgage payment is going to be more than that. Um, so the best strategy out here is appreciation or fix and flips, which is great and all, but it's just not passive. So if I do dabble in that, which I've only dabbled in the one fix and flip out here that I'm partnered on, um, I take that money and I send it home passively to invest in real estate because a million dollar home or or a million dollars in Missouri will buy me like a 25 unit, 30 unit apartment complex rather than a house that is old and on like a quarter of an acre. Um, so it just does not make sense out here to do the buy and hold stuff. Uh, so I was doing that anyway and I was familiar with the Missouri area from being a recruiter and then I read this book by David Green, which is also a podcast host for The Bigger Pockets, uh, called Long Distance Real Estate Investing. And that just made everything, it just streamlined everything because that book talks about all of his systems and strategies. And it, it really just simplifies the whole concept of investing over overseas. And, and for me, having a really solid agent, which I do have now, and having a solid property manager, she's amazing. So amazing that I have stopped ever giving her information out because I was referring her to people and realized that eventually she was going to get too busy for me. So I stopped. Um, so what was her name again? Yeah, no, <laughs> no. Uh, I give my agent name. My agent's great. Uh, so, but I got a solid property manager and a solid agent. And I mean, they're good enough that you know, if I say, Hey, I'm looking at this property, they'll meet up and they'll go take a look at it together for me. They'll video it. They'll take pictures of it. They'll tell me straight up, you know, Hey, don't buy this house or the other way around. Um, and in fact, the, big deal that I'm on right now, which we can talk about later. Uh, my agent actually was the one who brought it to my attention. So, um, and then they're, yeah, they're working on everything right now. We should close next week. Yeah. I love it. And so going back to that book by our buddy, David Green, super cool guy, uh, long distance real estate investing. Now I invest out of state as well. Not quite as long distance as you, David, but I thought, you know, I had some pretty good systems in place and I read that book and man, David's got a lot of cool tips, a lot of good resources and apps. So after I read that book, I had like five new apps downloaded on my phone. I was like just doing things a little more differently and efficiently really made me think about building better processes and systems. And that's really crucial to someone like yourself. I mean, you're six or seven hour time difference from your property. So lots of coordination with your team on the ground there. And just that, you know, the whole logistics of, you know, being able to make a call to your property manager or, you know, check in on something is, you know, even magnified by that time difference. So yeah, tell us a little bit about like, you know, how you've managed your real estate from that far away and, you know, what it's like, you know, just having that uh, almost maybe trepidation, you know, of like investing so far away, not being able to see it, touch it as frequently. Talk about that piece. I, I guess part of that goes into the whole like uh, make a good story aspect, right? <laughs> uh, when, I'm, when I'm on the fence, I, I roll with it. Uh, but it really, the having a solid team uh, is what has done it for me. And then having to realize to, I read the miracle morning and now I'm up at like four in the morning to do my morning routine, which is not always fun. Uh, but it has been very productive, especially because early mornings here is the only way that I can like accomplish anything. Because by the time I'm going into work, the majority of people are like almost done with their day. Uh, for example, it's probably around lunchtime, your time or getting there and the sun's not up yet. Um, so yeah, right. it, it gets a little complicated when I'm like sitting on the couch at five in the morning, trying to conference call my way through, uh, property manager stuff. And I'm like, I'm trying to wake up and they're like, I'm trying to eat lunch. And I'm like, I'm sorry. Um, but I would say that it really just comes down to having a good team and trusting your team. Uh, and then, and then just trusting your gut. Don't, don't listen to the, the fear and don't talk yourself out of, uh, out of it. And I, I actually, 
I, I flew home last month when I was this one property that we're under contract on right now, just because it was the fear of the what ifs and all this other stuff. Um, I had no intentions. I was going to buy this. It, well, it's like a $2.8 million, 67,000 square foot building. And I was going to buy it sight unseen and just roll with it. Um, and then I got in my head my, my fears and I was like, okay, you know what? Um, so we had a four day weekend and I flew home and I literally like landed Saturday and flew back Monday. Um, and I mean, that was a necessary evil. At least it's a tax write off. Right. But, uh, overall, like for duplexes and stuff. Yeah. I don't, I don't ever care. I, I mean, it, honestly, I don't even need to see a whole ton of pictures if they tell me what's what I have buddies out there now that are contractors and enough contacts that I can say, you know, Hey, I need you, you and you to go to the house and tell me if it's worth buying, if it's in a decent neighborhood, can I negotiate the price? How much is it going to cost to fix whatever's wrong with it? And, and that's that they tell me straight up and they haven't been wrong yet. So yeah, that's awesome and super vital to your success as a real estate investor, having those local contacts and just that that kind of infrastructure and network, boots on the ground type stuff. So it's really helped me invest out of state. Well, one thing I want to touch on before we jump into that deal, which I do want to get into the details because it sounds super interesting. It's probably going to make for a good story one way or the other. But yeah, uh, before yeah. we get into that, let's let's talk about what it was like, you know, getting started investing in real estate as like, you know, essentially uh, a broke, recent, you know, young professional, right? So I bought my very first property when I was like maybe two years out of college, didn't have any, you know, kind of sort of money to my name. I had a good job, but so, you know, talk about like, you know, what that was like and starting with like pretty much little to no money. We talked about that book by Brandon Turner, uh, investing in real estate with low or no money down. Awesome. Great book. It's one of the very first books I read and it really gave me some ideas to creatively finance real estate. So talk about what it was like for you. Yeah, creativity is is a wonderful thing because so if this deal closes technically, I guess because they count net up net net worth technically, we would be uh, accredited investors over a million dollars in net worth. But uh, the reality is that that's still not even close in actual cash, uh, and that's just through creativity. So the first deal, um, like I said, I used the FHA loan, so I needed to come up with like thirty five hundred, thirty two hundred dollars at closing. Yeah, pretty and reasonable I, there. Yeah, but I, I probably would have struggled to even have that because I blew all my money on. You know, your typical marine stuff, uh, alcohol, tattoo, fast car, Harley, you know, all this. I came back from <laughs> Afghanistan and I bought a truck, a rifle, two tattoos, and I don't remember what else. Oh, and the Harley. And I had no money left from the deployment. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this Harley's awesome. Um, so I think, and I'm not 100%, but I'm pretty sure the only reason that I had the cash for the down payment on that is because my Harley had been totaled six months prior and I still had that money sitting in the bank account. Um, and so I think that was really, at least I got something out of the Harley, but uh, I had not been very smart with my money at all. Uh, and that has forced me to be very creative and also to adjust my savings rate and all that stuff with my income. Um, but creativity. So the first one was the FHA loan, which is pretty straightforward. But since then, like the Tenplex, I used, uh, I'm a huge fan of seller financing. Uh, to date, every time I've used seller financing, which has only been like two or three times so far, but I've only ever paid 4% interest, which on commercial property is like unheard of right now. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you can do some very interesting things with negotiations. So we'll talk in a minute. Um, but like for my 10 plex, I'm paying 4% interest on the 10,000 they lent me or whatever, but it's over like five years. But there were some other concessions in there that I wouldn't be able to do with a normal bank. And then it also allowed me to, so instead of paying the normal, the bank wanted 20% down and I ended up only coming out with a 5% out of my own pocket because we use the seller financing for the buffer there. And if you can find like a local bank, usually they're better with it, but the local community banks, um, my lender will let me factor in seller financing. So a lot of times it's worth it to say, Hey, look, I can give you less than your asking price and we can do X, Y, Z, or I can give you your full asking price, but you need to let me make payments to you for the last 20% of it rather than a down payment. And you can walk into a property for, you might not have as much equity, but a lot less out of pocket. If it's still cash flows, it's worth doing. Yeah, sure. Certainly. And I remember when I was first getting started, David, like I had, I didn't even think of leverage to begin with, right? I would think like, okay, well I can't afford a $100,000 single family property to buy. I don't have a hundred thousand dollars. 
oh, there's this thing called, you know, <laughs> leverage, you know, getting a loan yeah. from the bank. Okay, now that makes sense. So it's still, you know, traditional financing would, you know, be 20% down. So, well, it's still $20,000. I don't know if I can swing that as a recent college graduate, right? And then you start yeah. thinking of all these different creative ways to buy real estate. You know, there's just, uh, well, there's a whole book about it out there by our buddy Brandon Turner, <laughs> but uh, you know, we don't need to get into all of those. But there's just lots of creative ways that you, if you want to get into real estate, you can get into it in some pretty creative fashions for very low money down. And uh, yeah, so that's helped you get into what, you know, you're into some really creative stuff now. So building up to it, you know, you've got this really cool property under contract. Tell us about it. It's a uh, really unique. You and I have talked a little bit, uh, you know, last yeah. week about it. So tell us about, you know, what's going on there and uh, yeah, just, just dive into it. Yeah. So this thing's a doozy. So it, it's called the <laughs> The Majestic, uh, and it was the Majestic Steakhouse. So this, it was built in 1996, 67,000 square feet. The first two floors are apartments. The top two floors are commercial stuff. Um, it was originally a steakhouse. So this guy had a four-story monstrosity of a steak restaurant, like three kitchens, 20 apartments for like his chefs to live in. Uh, I mean, it's just insane. Apparently, there was a wait out the door too. So uh, it was quite the place. It was the place to be in. Uh, it's in Branson, Missouri, which is like a show. It's, they call it, uh, like the Vegas of the Midwest, but it's, yeah, it's like, uh, a lot of shows and musicals and stuff. It's actually a pretty cool town. One of those weird places with like 11,000 residents and like 9 million tourists every year in the middle of nowhere, Midwest, uh, us. And, uh, so the guy died and the property just kind of went untouched for like 13 years sat vacant so this gentleman bought it like three years ago and started fixing everything up on it uh, and slowly renting stuff out and then he is trying to move all of his money from that deal to he bought a an old officer quarters in puerto rico that he's turning into a condo resort hmm. um, and so he's just trying to pull his cash out and move there so it's still not fully rented. So there's a lot of value add there and there's a pretty good price, but he wants to, he wanted to sell either a conventional loan so he could take the cash from the down payment or do a lease option so that he could pull a loan out on what was, you know, basically use the building as collateral uh, to move his money. And so we ended up, we're going to close on this thing it, it should be like Monday or Tuesday. It's basically whenever my check decides that it's actually going to arrive in the mail rather than sitting somewhere between Hawaii and Missouri because it's just no one knows where it is because I, learning experience, decided that I would just stick it in the normal mail rather than overnight it because I thought, oh, yeah, sure, if I put it in the mail Monday, it'll be there by Friday. And now it's floating around somewhere in the, you know, it's like Willy Wonka in the chocolate factory. It's in a million pieces <laughs> in the air. And no one knows what's up with it. Um, <laughs> Luckily, it's a check, so it can't be spent by anyone else. So, you know, whatever. But, uh, yeah, so I will now overnight everything, even if I have a whole week for it to get there. Um, so we will close whenever my check gets there. And uh, we are going to buy, it's $2.795 million for $150,000 down with some pretty cool terms. Uh, so he's going to finance the, it's like $2.645 million at 4% interest with a, uh, I mean, it's, it was originally a 10 year balloon, but since we're doing the lease option, it'll be a five year uh, option to purchase or extend 4% um, interest for the first three years, 5% interest for the next years. And then uh, it's interest only for the first year. So we're basically getting handed a loan for a property where, Hey, I don't have to pay principal for the first year so we can get the rest of the stuff rented out. And then the follow on years, it'll be four up to 5%, which is less than a conventional loan would ever be for commercial real estate. And there's, I mean, we paid like 5.2% down on a almost $3 million property uh, that is already going to be not super cash flow positive, but cash flow positive. So even after paying the property manager, the maintenance guy, and the like nine thousand dollar utility bill, which is just mind boggling. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's ridiculous to talk about numbers in the size of this. Like when I go from thinking about like my ten plex, it was like two hundred grand to like, oh yeah, that was like eight hundred bucks a month in utilities. And then I'm like looking through utility bills and I'm like balking because I'm like, wow, this is a lot. But it, the numbers work. So. Um, so it'll probably be like two, two grand cash flow. 
um, maybe for the first little bit. And then in March, there are five more tenants that have already signed leases and have uh, deposits and stuff in. Um, we just need to fix their spaces up and that'll bring the uh, net operating income up like 75 to 8,500 a month, at which point it'll, it'll cash flow pretty substantial. And then there's still going to be four commercial spaces to rent out. And then there's actually room for me to build another residential apartment downstairs, which I plan on doing. So by the time we're all said and done, it should be 25 residential apartments and somewhere between 15 and 18 commercial tenants, depending on how we rent those spaces out. Um, including a paintball place in the parking lot because it has 350 parking spots and they're only using like 100 to 200 of them ever. Um, so we like took the back section and the guy who's selling it said, hey, look, they want to build a paintball place. Um, if it doesn't work out, I will pay you the lease for the next 18 months. So I'm like, well, paintball place might not be the most ideal, but if the seller is going to give me the money, whether it works out for them or not, then I'm obviously going to say yes. So. Um, so it's, it's a very strange, lots of stuff uh, coming in and way bigger than anything I've ever done or thought about doing. Uh, but I couldn't really justify saying no to, I mean, I guess the risk, <laughs> the risk exposure is not that much. So my, I have a partner on this. Uh, it's actually a family member. Um, so between the two of us, uh, I brought in like 50,000, he brought in a hundred thousand and then I'm running all the operations and he's hopefully enjoying, uh, his life and passive income as there's hopefully no hiccups. Uh, sure. So we brought in the 150, but because it's a lease option, if we fail to make the payment, we can't be foreclosed on. We just lose the property. There's no foreclosure period. There's no bank involvement. There's no, credit, there was no credit check, you know, the, the amount of ease that it comes with just doing seller finance lease option purchase is awesome. Um, so if we lose the property, like worst case scenario, we're out our $150,000, which is a lot of money. Don't get me wrong, but we don't get foreclosed on. It doesn't affect our credit. It doesn't affect me being able to get another loan in the future. It doesn't affect anything. I lose my money is what it is. Learning experience, good story and move on to the next prop property or whatever. But if it does work out and all of the numbers that we're running are correct, then the purchase price at 2.8, once it's fully rented with the same cap rate, it'll be worth somewhere between 4.5 and 5.2 million in three to five years. And it'll make anywhere from nine to $15,000 a month cash flow for us after all expenses. So it's like, hmm, uh, we could lose 150 grand or we could gain like $120,000 a year into our pocket and a $2 million valuation increase, which one is, you know, is the risk worth the reward? Yeah, it's definitely worth the reward. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, you've got a unique uh, perspective on your risk on this thing. So, right. You, you know, you're going into it and you've got kind of a protected downside, like worst case scenario, it, you know, the project fails, you know, it goes South, whatever you're, you're out $150,000, which is a substantial amount of money for you and your partner at this point in your, in your investing career. But yeah, it's my whole HELOC. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the upside is so it's got such a high potential upside that it's worth that risk. So, you know, you know, those risks going into it and you've got a lot of mitigation plans and got some infrastructure, you've got your property manager in place. So really cool stuff. Now, now just to recap, this is a 60,000 square foot mixed use building apartments, uh, commercial tenants. You've got some paintball going in the parking lot. Yeah. So a lot of, a lot of interesting stuff. You don't have any experience operating a steakhouse. You don't have any experience, you know, being a, you know, a paintball landlord. So tell us about, you know, like the trepidation of going into this and just, you know, overcoming that fear aside from your, like, you know, just like, just do it for the story kind of, you know, mentality, <laughs> you know, like talk about, you know, just, you know, you, you know, well, you did a duplex and then you scale up and do a 10 unit and you've done a couple flips here and there, but this is like drastically bigger than anything you've ever done. So, you know, talk about, you know, just the overcoming the fear and just taking that action. Yeah. So the fear is why I finally just broke down and bought a thousand dollar flight over a weekend to come walk through it, which the building's so big, it took almost three and a half hours to walk through this thing, um, which is just mind boggling. So I guess part of the justification for it is the fact that 
it's so it's no longer a steakhouse it's uh been broken into a bunch of other commercial tenants so there's like a murder mystery theater and like a family string quartet and a wedding venue and an escape room and a um, there's gonna be like a high-end chef slash bar um so i guess realizing that the difference between a commercial tenant and a residential tenant is not really that big fundamentally. Like obviously there's a lot that goes into if business goes out of business, then they're not going to pay your lease. Well, yeah. And I mean, that's a big fear because if my $7,000 a month tenant goes out of business, that's going to be a big chunk of change. But the reality is that a business going out of business and moving out via no money is probably still an easier process than dealing with a tenant. It's a bigger scale, but if a tenant loses their job and has no money, the odds are that they're going to stay there and you're going to have to go through an eviction process, right? If, I mean, depending on the tenant, but that's what my experience has been is they just like, I can't afford life. Please let me live here for free. And like, no, yeah. no, sorry, that's not <laughs> how this works. Um, whereas if a business goes out of business, like if my murder mystery theater lady goes out of business, she's probably not going to try to stay there because she's out of business. So like what point is there in her, like it's, she doesn't live there. She's going to leave because she's no longer making any money. So why would you want to be indebted to me for somewhere you're not living? Like you can just move your stuff out and be gone. Um, so I don't think you have to deal with the eviction process nearly as much uh, as far as if they go out of business. Now they just decide to stop paying. Okay. But again, then they have a business to lose rather than, just an apartment complex. So I think it's much more uh, to lose in that regard. And the other thing is, I mean, they're business owners, so they're, they don't necessarily manage the building themselves, but they generally speaking can take care of themselves. Uh, and I don't mean to say that residential tenants need to be babysat, but a commercial tenant, you know, my, my real estate center that's downstairs, century 21 or whatever, like they run a business, they can, probably manage to just like pay their rent. Like they're, they take care of themselves. So it's not much of a headache. Um, and then again, solid property manager. I actually have a live in maintenance guy who he was paying rent. I'm going to, he's not going to pay rent anymore. Cause I think that that's good. Uh, so I have a live in maintenance guy. I have an onsite uh, property manager. She doesn't live there, but she works there. Um, and she's actually the one who's going to be taking over the management for the paintball place. Uh, so she's going to work, with my property manager and my property manager will run like the whole building and everything else. So I have a lot of, it kind of goes back to the team. Everyone so far seems to think, you know, no massive red flags. Um, and then through all of those fears, yeah, I don't know. Um, just, <laughs> I guess talking, talking to people and just kind of looking, it really kind of came down to like looking at the numbers, looking at the downside, looking at the upside. Oh, and the, the other cool thing. So because we're lease optioning, um, the seller is awesome. So he's, we were talking about all this and I, you know, I, I was kind of nervous about everything and he gave me a reference of a guy to call and I ended up not really talking to him much about like how he's done business with this, uh, with the guy I'm buying from. Um, but I just kind of asked him like, Hey, you know, would you do another lease option with him? Like, did everything go okay? And the guy's done 30 different lease option purchases from this gentleman. Wow. Yeah. So I'm like, Oh, hang on. So I start talking to him and I realized that the guy I'm dealing with has owned like 45 to 50 monstrous commercial properties throughout the U S he's headquartered in Colorado. And he's done like the one dude who he gave me as a reference has bought 30 of them as lease option purchases. So I'm like, okay, you know, if he was really trying to get me, he probably wouldn't have given me a reference for someone who's bought half his portfolio over the last decade. Um, and so I think I just built a lot of trust and then he offered to stay on as a mentor through the process because ultimately he still owns the title until we close. So another cool benefit to all of this is this guy who's got way more experience than me gave me his number and was like, Hey, you know, any questions you got on the property on management on whatever, as they arise, like I'm here, I still have a vested interest in the property. It's your property. You control everything, but you know, because I still have the title, I'm going to stay on to help you out. So I, that was another comfort point is knowing as we talk about networking, that this gentleman who's far enough down the road that he's building a condo on another Island um, is willing to stay on and, and answer questions and help with the property 
for free. So. Yeah, that's a unique characteristic of this lease option is this seller has a vested interest in your success in buying the building. Unless you just thought he was, you know, a fly by night guy and just wanted, you know, your initial, you know, $150,000 down payment and he was going to move off to Mexico and you'll never see him again. <laughs> you know, he you know, aside from that, you know, worst case scenario, he that does have a vested better interest. story, right? <laughs> I'd, I'd be back on the podcast talking about the story again, that's for sure. <laughs> Well, hey, one thing I want to ask about this lease option is, did the seller have uh, debt on the property or was that the reason he was able to provide this lease option um, st structure to you? Yeah, no. So he got it at a steal because he bought it when it was still vacant. So I, I'm pretty sure he paid cash for it. Okay. And then, uh, and then he's added a pretty substantial amount of value so far. And then we're hopefully going to add a lot more value. Okay. Yeah. That's a vital piece of the lease option. A lot of sellers don't want to do lease options if they have debt on the property, you know, if they have a bank note on it. So, you know, sometimes I know that's a hindrance in this seller financing that I come across pretty frequently. Yeah. So, yeah. So pretty cool. Awesome stuff, David. Well, you know, you started out with that duplex, hit that 10 unit, you know, with the HELOC, done a couple flips, done a couple creative things, come into this, you know, really unique. I don't even know what to call it. What was the what did you call it? The majestic. Something? The majestic steakhouse is what the signs on the building say, and I'm really tempted to just pull the word steakhouse off because everybody in that town knows the building as the majestic. Like I, I'll talk about the area and this building and this, that, and the other, and I get blank stares, and then I'm like, oh yeah, it's the majestic. Everybody knows. Uh oh yeah, you're buying the majestic. I'm like, okay, I should probably just keep that sign branded on the side of the building so all right i love it so yeah that's what we'll call it then so you you've fallen into this uh majestic commercial building it's going to be an interesting uh project for sure you close on it here in a couple of days so really cool stuff there now you know what's what's the future look like for you and you know what are your reasons why why are you out here doing all this stuff i mean it's not easy to invest in real estate much less you know across halfway across the world and uh you know doing the things you're doing so talk us through that yeah. So it started as just me wanting to save rent. Um, and then it's kind of become more or less the strategy is like once I retire from the military, uh, whether that's a full retirement or just, you know, not, you know, I, I move on. Honestly, if I, depending on re how real estate goes, I may not need a military pension anymore. Um, but I love the Marine Corps. So it is what it is. Uh, it started off as just kind of a way to ensure that when I got done with the military, I didn't have to go back to working a nine to five job and start from the bottom. Um, and I have always kind of enjoyed entrepreneurial uh, exploits per se. Um, and so I think a lot of the reason why is just to be able to, I love traveling. I get to do that in my current job, but when I'm done with the military, I want to be able to just travel on my own schedule. Uh, so my wife would probably go back to working as a counselor if we want to have jobs for the heck of it. Um, and then we'd have summers off. So like, okay, go travel the world, go spend three years doing slow travel, go here, go there, uh, spend time with them and, and just be able to do, I like adventures. Um, I like stories as you can tell. Uh, <laughs> and, and so I want to be able to have the time to not have to worry about what my job has to say about whether I'm going to be able to take that much time off. I want to be able to just jump on a plane and go to wherever. Uh, and I think that's a big part of the why the travel freedom family. Um, yeah. Yeah. I love it. Those are all really good reasons. And, uh, I have no doubt that you're going to hit your future goals and got some exciting stuff in your future. So awesome stuff. Well, David, as we're wrapping up here, we've got a lightning round. It's just a series of questions. We ask every one of our guests you up for it. Absolutely. All right. Well, what was your biggest hurdle getting started investing in real estate and what'd you do to overcome that? Yeah. So knowledge had no idea what I was doing. Um, didn't know anyone at the time who knew what they were doing. And so I decided to find it, uh, which involves a lot of Google. So one of the things I did was I learned how to search Google. You can actually, there's nobody knows that, but there's a lot of tricks of the trade to utilizing Google to be more efficient in your search engines. Um, and, but I found just the information that I was looking for or that I didn't know I needed. So I just started reading books and picking people's brains and read via listening to audible as I drove to work every day. And then I ultimately just took action and figured it out from there. Yeah. I love it. Well, do you have a personal habit that contributes to your success? So 
I like to refer to the Miracle Morning book by Hal Elrod. Uh, yes. What gets me up at zero four every morning to I'm actually been very terrible lately about the savers, which is like the, you know, silence, affirmation, visualization, exercise, reading and uh, scribing, scribing, journaling. Yeah. yeah, I always forget that one because it's just a strange word. It's a weird ass. Um, yeah. <laughs> I've been pretty terrible about that lately. It's been like get up. Read, 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 edit video, read, 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 because I'm trying to finish Chad Carson's book. Um, but it's still super effective. There's something about getting up that early and having accomplished something before the rest of the world's awake. Uh, and there's actually some cool math if you look at like how many extra hours a day you get and how many extra days a year that equates to. It's like a full month worth of the year that I get that nobody else gets by being up two hours earlier. Um, so that that in itself and then just networking and listening to books while I commute. I think those three things are like just using your time better is what saves everything. Yeah. Awesome. Savers is a great book by Hal Elrod. It's referenced pretty frequently on the show. So if you haven't picked it up yet, certainly do that. We'll link it in the uh, show notes. If if you'd like to find that. Well, David, do you have an online resource that you find valuable? Do I get to plug myself here? Can this what I say? Like there's a super valuable resource called from military to millionaire, uh, which is my smiling mug on a pot on a blog. Uh, I am honestly though, uh, bigger pockets. I love bigger pockets. Um, but yeah, I do, I do, I run a blog. Uh, and so I would like to think that that is beneficial. I find it beneficial, uh, and valuable, not necessarily from the real estate aspect, but from how much I've learned via networking through the blog and learning through the blog and then actually putting thoughts out on uh, paper and then turning it into like YouTube videos has been a huge learning experience. There's, I've always said it, but I'm realizing it every day is like learning something is great, but when you can sit and teach it to someone else, that's like a whole nother level of understanding. And uh, not to say that I'm the best teacher, but to say that just forcing myself to be somebody that people ask questions as, as I'm sure you have found through podcasting, it, it really brings you to the next level because now you're like, Oh crap, I, I don't know the answer to that. I need to find it because I don't want to be the guy who gives bad scoop. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, you're doing a lot of cool stuff there, especially on your social media and your blog website there at www from military to millionaire.com. And I want to jump into a couple of those things in just a minute, but, uh, you know, real quick, wrapping up this lightning round, uh, what book would you recommend to the listeners and why? Okay. So I just thought about this one. I wrote down some others. I mean, there's so many books. So Chad Carson's <laughs> book is awesome. Uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, obviously we have to say that one. Yeah. Uh, long distance real estate investing. We already said that it's wonderful. Set for Life by Scott Trench. Oh, really good one. Yeah. Bigger Pockets one that's great for like getting started. Um, but I'm going to say this one because it just came to my mind because I didn't bring this up earlier. Uh, the 10X Rule by Grant Cardone. And I say that it's not a real estate book, but it's a goal book. Um, and it's a mindset book. And to put this in perspective, at the beginning of this year, my wife and I sat down, we wrote out our goals, which I'm kicking myself because like I've torn my, I moved offices and I've torn it apart. I can't find my goal sheet from this year. I had it like two weeks ago. I don't know where it went. Um, I'm going to like, literally destroy my house looking for that piece of paper. Uh, we sat down and we wrote out our goals for the year. And then my goal was to buy three more rental units this year. And that was a reasonable goal. And then we were like, okay, I read the book 10X rule and I was like, all right, let's just 10X all of these. And so we're like 10X, 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 which just means multiply by 10. So now my three units became 30 units. And I was like, yeah, that's never going to happen, but it'll push me. Well, two months into the year, three months into the year, we had closed on the 10 unit. I'm like, wow, that's three times what I was originally going to make my goal. Yeah, maybe we can hit this 10x. Yeah, maybe. And now when we close on this thing next week, my 30-unit goal will have been almost doubled. Uh, and so it's it's nuts to just think like, man, I was going to buy a triplex this year. And now I'm buying like $3 million worth of real estate. <laughs> like, holy smoke. So on a mindset book, uh, definitely effective. I would definitely check out the 10x rule by Grant Cardone. Yeah, definitely. I love that. That's a great recommendation and a really good reason why behind that book. So 10X by Grant Cardone. We'll link that book in the show notes. If you haven't picked it up, definitely do that along with Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Set for Life, Long Distance Real Estate Investing, all super great books. So yeah, pick all those up. Well, David, last question in our lightning round. If you were to give advice to your 20-year-old self to get started investing in real estate, what would that be? Read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. 
Uh, because yeah, no, uh, read network and take action. Honestly, like I said, I'd always been interested in real estate and I never did anything with it. And I can sit here and say, like I did earlier that I didn't know anyone who was interested in real estate, this, that, and the other. But the reality is I never went out of my way to learn. I didn't need to know anyone. Had I started reading books and doing my research, I would have found somebody to ask questions of. So just take action, start learning. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Network educate, take action. Soon enough, you'll look back and you'll have accomplished something like David has at such a young age and you'll have, you know, some unique projects under your belt. And yeah, before you know it, you'll be a successful real estate investor. So love it. David, it's been a lot of fun talking with you today. Now I want to dig into just a little bit of things you're doing over on your blog and website from military to millionaire. Tell us what you're doing there and uh, tell us where the audience members can find, learn more about you. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, we have an Instagram, a YouTube channel, uh, blog, all of that. Uh, it's all titled the same thing from military to millionaire, um, which is kind of a mouthful, but it's catchy. So we're sticking with it. Um, really, I was just trying to figure out, like I had all these ideas, like I mentioned a book and I had this and I had that. And I just like, I'm scatterbrained and all these things I want to do at once. And I realized if I got a blog and put it all together, then if it's all in one spot, then, you know, Hey, whatever I come up with in the future, I can kind of caveat or that's the wrong word. I hate when people misuse that word and I just did it uh, <laughs> piggyback, piggyback off of the blog. You know, if I write a book on something military related, I can probably stick it into that website. If I write a book on real estate or personal development or, or whatever, I can put it in there. Um, the goal with it and, and the about page or whatever, I mean, the title says military, but the, it's really for like military, public service, blue collar, like anybody who does not make $6 million a year, you know, and, and even if you do make a hundred, 200,000, $300,000 a year, like the principles are the same, but it's to really help those of us who don't have high paying jobs understand that like there are strategies and methods to make yourself successful this way. Don't, don't let your income stop you from ever having wealth. Oh, I love that. Such a powerful statement there. Don't let your income stop you from having wealth. It seems a little counterintuitive, might seem a little silly if you, you just take it on surface value, but dig into that, man. So, so cool. So you're helping a lot of people, you know, just kind of find their way, you know, helping people get started investing in real estate, you know, showing people that, Hey, this is possible. Here's how I've done it. It's not exactly the way for everybody, but you know, here's some things I've learned and you're really active on social media, lots of, you know, investing advice there. So Really cool stuff. So if anybody wants to look you up, you know, social media is a great place or go over to your website, www.frommilitarytomillionaire.com. That'll be linked in the show notes. So thanks so much for that, David. Well, hey, it's been really fun having you on the podcast. Now wrapping up here, is there any kind of parting piece of advice you'd like to leave with the audience? I, I would just say the same thing I've reiterated a million times, just take action, just go do something, whether that's going to a meetup buying a book or buying a property. It doesn't matter how big the step is. It's just actually doing it. It's really easy to read a book and learn about something or talk about something or say I'm a real estate investor, but like I refused to use that term until I owned over, I didn't have a set number, but until I owned, you know, like three properties, like I told myself like, Hey, until you own enough properties that you can say it with like a plural you're not going to call yourself a real estate investor. Uh, and that was a personal thing. Um, and that is not to say that by buying a house, you're not a real estate investor, but that is to say that, you know, saying you're a real estate investor does not make you a real estate investor. Saying you're a blogger does not make you a blogger. Don't say it, just do it, right? Like just go take action, make it happen. Who cares about the label? Just go, go take your success into your own hands and make stuff happen. Yeah, I love it. Well, take action, make for a good story and, uh, you know, pray the rest will turn out great. So David, it's been a lot of fun having you on the podcast today. You know, we're going to have to follow up and check out how that new project's coming along after you close and get it all, you know, renovated and, and uh, you know, performing well. So love to have you back on the podcast in the future. And uh, until next time, take care, man. Sounds good, Jacob. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, David. All right, that wraps up this week's episode with our guest, David Perret. Well, hey, I hope you got tons of value from today's episode. If you like what you've heard, please go over and leave a rating and review on whichever platform you're listening on. And if you'd like to connect with David, visit www.frommilitarytomillionaire.com. Those will be linked in the show notes. 
Till next week, engineer the lifestyle you want. You've been listening to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, providing you actionable content to build your real estate empire. Nothing on this show should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for personal advice. The opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have a potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom, LLC, exclusively.